Hello, my name is Tanai and I'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach. For years, I tried to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, and I realized that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is an opportunity to have conversations about what gets in the way of us creating real intimacy, and how can we have more deep and vulnerable connections in our relationships. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody. I am so excited about today's interview. I've been feeling just like, you know, uninspired about the podcast, but then I just keep thinking Rinch is going to be on my podcast. (laughs) So that's just like, that's going to blow up the energy of my podcast. You know, that's like an orgasm podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you Rinsha Balani. She is just a magical human being she is such a yes to life and that means the challenges and the incredible opportunities and the things that she wants to give herself because she's an embodiment of you can have a life exactly the way that you want it and you show up to the room and the room receives you as you are not the other way around (laughs) and so that makes her such an inspiration for many and an expander for many um, because she's transformed her life from being pleasure lacking to completely filling, you know, overflowing with pleasure. Um, And she's an incredible teacher and coach leading women to connect to themselves and express themselves fully and, and show up that way in their relationships and in life. So I'm so grateful and honored to have her as a friend and so excited for you guys to hear her today. Oh, tonight. Thank you so much for that introduction. I am so just blessed to have you in my life. And as soon as you said, you know, she's a woman who is a yes to life and to everything you want. I just immediately got brought back to how we first met each other when I was not that way. at all and the journey that I've been on I mean that we've both been on you know since then and just how I would have never imagined myself or anyone else to use those words to express who I was even just two and a half years ago even right now when we were talking about you being in in this physical pain that you're in and you know still expecting things to work out for you that is a way of being you know the living as if everything's happening for you as if you can create life the way that you want it to and so it's it's like a second nature for you at this point definitely definitely it's like my primary language (laughs) is desire (laughs) I'm gonna give you an opportunity now to introduce yourself and tell the listeners who are you what you do for women in the world and men (sighs) so I I'm someone who just, you know, and tonight you are a witness to this, that where I was on a very big journey about two and a half years ago, where I finally said no to the kind of life I'd been living for like 25, 27 years, which was what, like worrying about what other people thought of me, worrying about what my family wanted for me and and wondering how I can live a life where I make other people happy. I make other people proud of me so that I could then feel great 
and feel successful and feel like I am doing everything right to live the best life I could live. And I was somehow still finding somehow that I was miserable (laughs) that I had nothing I wanted, that I wasn't lit up, that like making other people proud of me wasn't giving me what I needed. And so through a lot of the work that you and I have done together, I got to see where like I wasn't actually looking at what I wanted and what I desired and what I needed for myself. And so what on the outside looked like it happened overnight, but really was accumulation of a lot of years of like burning like both sides of the candle and like burning the wood and letting it all like burst into flames slowly, but gradually I left behind everything I knew. I left behind my life on the East coast, the partnership I was in for six years and said, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want now. And then I was like, Oh wait, what does that look like? What do I do? What's happening? And moved through a lot of fear. And inside of that fear, just kept asking myself, what is it that I want? What is it that I want? And followed that. And through that, I now, you know, I am based in LA, which was a complete dream. I had been to LA only twice before I moved there. I work as a coach to support other people, all people in living lives of their wildest dreams. I live a life where I can officially say that I only do the things that I want to do. And yeah, who I am is just someone that wants to support everyone else in doing the exact same. Because I feel like the world, there's so many places in the world that tell you how you need to be. And we're constantly looking for the answer of how we need to be. And we're looking outside for it. But the answer is so unique for each of us. And the answer truly comes from within. But we're so like plastered with outside messaging and, and things that tell us what the answer is. And so I just want to support people in finding that answer within themselves because they already have it. And to then know that they can actually have all that that they want, no matter how crazy, ridiculous, insane it may seem. Yeah, that's such a good point because when it seems insane, like you may have all these things that life is throwing at you of like, it's not going to happen, give it up. And you just have to be like, I'm keeping my eye on this insane vision until (laughs) it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that a lot of fears would come up because, you know, you hear of stories of like yourself about, so one day I decided to give it all up. And it's not just one day, right? I mean, I know you and I know how long it took to really make that step. So can you speak to some of the fears that were present in the moment of really giving all of that stuff up? Yeah, definitely. You know, what what was comfortable for me and what I knew is is everything that I already experienced, right? Everything that we, we, like what's within our comfort zone is all the things that we've already done. If we haven't done it, it's likely not there because it's new and it's scary. And so when I was telling myself that, you know, I wanted to leave my relationship, I wanted to leave um, where I was living and I wanted to move somewhere I'd barely really stayed before it. I wanted to um, just find what lit me up, some a journey that I had never really truly followed. Like I had an idea of what it looked like out of all the work that I'd done, but to actually follow that 
was completely new and uncharted territory. So the fear was, what it, where am I going with this? What's coming out of this? Because I had my dream, I had my fantasy, I had my desire of what it looked like, but I actually had no idea what it would look like to live out any of these things in real life. And so there's this big unknown in front of me that I'm, that I'm actively stepping into. Like when I was moving to LA, someone was like, well, how are you going to get to LA? And I was like, oh, I haven't thought about that. Oh, I'm going to drive. Had I ever driven cross country before? No. But the one practice that I had that I was starting is naming the things that I wanted. And so in naming them, deciding like, okay, this is happening, even if I don't know how. But not knowing how was such a new experience for me. I used to have everything figured out and then went ahead and did something. This was moving in reverse in the opposite direction where it was like, what do you want? Figure out the how later. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what stops people in, in changing, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know how. And until I, don't, I find the answers, I'm just going to stay right here where I am. Yeah. But you're also then closing the doors for the universe to support you and show you the answers. Like if you're in one room of the house, until you step into the other room, you're not going to see the door that's in the other room. Exactly. Very true. Yeah. That is so bold, you know, to really step into that uncertainty, figuring it out step by step, right? Seeing like, okay, here's a question I have. How do I answer? And I think one of the most important things on this journey too, is that, you know, my move to LA was like my first real big, like where I'm going to lean into doing something that I've never done before. And it's scary. And so the fear the whole time actually on the journey was, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive? How am I going to survive and thrive in LA? Well, actually thriving wasn't even on the actual journey. It was just, how am I going to survive? Right? Like I, it was like the, the cliche quintessential had a couple of hundred dollars to my name. Sometimes I, so I was working like delivery driving at the time, which was helpful because I could do it in any of the States, but sometimes I was literally working delivery driving in one state to make enough money to have gas to go to the next state. So it was like using the tools that I had to figure out something new, but I had never experienced just fully trusting myself. So it also was me like crying on my friend's bathroom floors along the journey, being like, oh my God, I need to turn around. This is stupid. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done. It's not going to work. I need to turn around. Mm. And, you know, through support of, sisters and through support of people that I trusted that I knew I could reach out to and be like, Hey, I'm thinking of turning around. What do I do? And them being like, no, you've got this. And them supporting me every time I was fearful and scared, which is a very important part of my journey. But what the, the point that I want to link here is that once I made it to LA, it didn't matter all the fear that I had. It didn't matter how many times I questioned myself or wanted to go back. The truth of the matter was that now I'd finally done something that I never knew I could do. So I got to take that big experience and bank it, like put it in my own personal trust bank inside of me that I can make shit happen, even if I have no clue how. And then from there, it's like, oh, okay. Anytime I fear, I'm like, I don't know if I can, you know, travel to Costa Rica all by myself. 
It's like, oh, wait, let me look in my trust bank. I literally took a road trip across the United States and survived. And I'm now thriving in LA. And I have that to fall back on, like my own trust in myself. Yeah, I think survival gets a really bad rep in the personal development world. Like, don't live according to survival, like live with desire. But but then there's also so much to appreciate about the fact that we survived something and it took a lot of strength. And even all of our coping mechanisms help to survive. And sur- like survival is great. Like we're alive because of survival, right? <laughs> exactly. But I was just listening to your story of this journey and it was such a metaphor for life. Just like, keep going. Don't turn back. Lean on your community. It's, it, you know, it's just, you were basically having a little like snow globe of life in that experience. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. It was hot. It was more like a heat wave, but yes. <laughs> it was a little desert in there. Desert, yeah. yeah. Not snow. <laughs> so I know that you were in this really long relationship. And so, of course, leaving it set you off on an entirely different path in your romance sex life, mm-hmm. which is why I thought it would be so interesting to talk about the importance of giving yourself what you look others to give you. Mm. And and I'd love to take this even more than just a romantic sense of what comes up for you in your life when you hear, give yourself what you want the other to give you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you tonight. Okay. Yeah. So yes, it's the same concept I was, I was mentioning earlier about how we're told out, like outside of ourselves, how we should, you know, care about ourselves, how we should love ourselves, what we need. But truly, only we know what we need. We have the answers within us. And so I knew how I should be loved by someone due to what a magazine told me or due to what like the internet told me or due to what I saw in movies and shows. And like, what'd you say? Like what? Give us some examples. If a guy really like cares about you, if he really loves you, then he's going to give you exactly what you want on Valentine's Day. You're going to get the rose, the flowers, you're going to get the chocolate. It means that he cares about you. It means that he loves you. And, and that will fill you up and that will have you feel loved. Like that's the message that I took away. And very inherently the concept there is like someone else is going to make you feel loved. And back then it made so much sense. I didn't question it. I was like, of course. You're saying that to me and I'm like, oh yeah, like that is absolutely what I thought. Exactly, right? Right? Yeah. You're, it's like someone else's responsibility to make me feel loved, to some, make me feel sexy. Oh, if I want to feel sexy, all I have to do is like put on lingerie and go to my partner and like have him tell me how sexy I am. Yeah, you're, you're reminding me of how I would miss Israel. Like, so I've lived in Israel and I've gone all the time. And when you go, there's like a lot of sexual energy and everyone's hitting on you and you just feel so sexy. And then I'd go elsewhere and think, I just wish I was in Israel because I felt so sexy because all these men were always hitting on me. Yes. Yes. How perfect, right? Like I need to go there where all the right people are. So I can feel this way. Mm -hmm. And again, like back then, it was like so normal for me to think that because of of what we learned from what we watched and saw. And through all the personal development work I've done, I've really got to see that there's a way that I can love myself. And the very first time I heard that, I was like, wait, what? Like you you hear the concept of self-love, 
but it's like still like, okay, I can love myself by getting other people to do something for me to fill me up. But like, or like self-love is like going to get my nails done so that I can feel pretty so that I can show them off to a guy so that I can then be told I'm sexy. So it was like all these like convoluted, caveated ways to actually feel loved or feel sexy. And what really has made the biggest difference for me is actually realizing that I, it is my responsibility. It doesn't have to be, but it feels better if it is that I can choose that it's my responsibility to make myself feel loved. And it's my responsibility to make myself feel sexy. And so what did that look like? That looked like, and, and let's go with like, like that looked like um, instead of buying lingerie for a partner, I don't have a partner now. What do I do? Oh, I can buy lingerie for myself. I can buy lingerie that makes me, I know, right? Like mind blowing. Like, why would you ever do that? Right? (laughs) Why would you ever spend that much money on yourself? Exactly. But if we're buying lingerie for someone else, it's like no brainer spend the hundreds of dollars. So it's, it looked like buying lingerie for myself, feeling so awkward. Again, the first time feeling so awkward while doing it. Like, why am I doing this? This makes no sense. This is irrational. But when I bought it and when I put it on and when I stood in front of the mirror and I just took some time with myself, realizing, oh, this is what my lover sees when he looks at me. Oh, I am sexy to myself. And realizing that I could fill myself up just as well, if not better, than a lover or my a partner could. That 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 nourishment that I was looking for outside of myself was something that I had in my hand that I could feed myself all along. And I had no idea. Did that change at all? What attracted you in partners and what you were looking for? Would you say your type is different? Well, being honest tonight, <laughs> after, you know, leaving that relationship, what I was really looking for was just lovers. I wasn't really looking for, uh, you know, a romantic relationship. It was something that just wasn't like I wanted to focus on myself. I've learned this r- brand new concept of that. I can be my own best lover. I'm like, I have to study myself. Wait, I don't have time for somebody else. What do I like? What do I not like? How do I like to be touched by myself? How do I not? Like I needed to study myself. And so I took time to do that. And then when I was looking for partners and lovers, like instead of looking for who I like was just physically turned on by so that I can hopefully then get off if I'm hooking up with them, it was like, who is a partner that will actually want to learn my body and understand what I've learned about myself? It's like, I've done all this research. I'm over here. I've done all this research on myself. Are you like... It's like when you're hiring an employee, you're <laughs> hoping that they're going to be good learners and that they're going to abide to company policy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> wow, so that, is cool. a radical, that is a very radically different way of thinking. Yeah. Because, you know, for me, it was also like, you know, for, for the beginning of my, my 20s, it was swiping through profiles thinking, is he Jewish? Does he have a good job? Is he going to be able to provide? Does he look emotionally intelligent so that he can get me as opposed to, like you said, like who's, who's a partner that I can give all the secrets to so that they know. Yeah. yeah so that they know me. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. What a way of taking responsibility for sharing yourself. Yes. You can I mean, take a piece of me. Here you go. Yes, exactly. And how intimate is that? Right? Like, like being like, I'm actually going to share with you what I know about myself, like the true parts of myself. Also, so you're not guessing. And so that we can spend way more time being connected. Yeah. What are some of those parts that you used to hide from people in general? So one is that I like to be played with very slowly. So, you know, in the erotic blueprints, I'm an energetic, which means that I'm someone who likes, who really gets off before even being touched. Someone who gets very turned on by like the gaze, the stare, the very soft touches, teasing me and letting me really like enjoy that foreplay, that stimulation. It's also how I love myself best when I literally can take my fingers and just tease my arm with the softest touch, it really creates electricity in my body. And so if I, if we go back to how we have learned things, I mean, we learn a lot of things from porn and in porn, nobody's like, you know, very softly, gently, just like gazing at each other, just, and just had doing energy work with each other to like create orgasm. That's not happening in porn should be, but, um, you know, we learn it's like go hard, go fast, go now. Yeah. Otherwise you're prude. It's not sexy. Exactly. You say. Exactly. So I didn't want anyone to know that I wanted them to go slower at first. It was like, no, I'm going to be the cool girl. I'm going to be the one that, you know, can just let you like go hard, go fast, go now. When meanwhile, I was like, this is not working. This is like, not, there's no, like, I'm not enjoying this. And I actually didn't even really know it at the time because I didn't know that there was room for more. It was when I really started studying myself and getting into that practice that I was like, oh, look at what I enjoy. This is so different. I never knew that. I never knew I could just enjoy feeling the tips of my nails running against my neck really slowly and how much electricity that would create in my body. I'm I'm going to assume that showing your mess was a big part just because I, you called your last Virgo messy. (laughs) Yep. And I'm curious. Yeah. What it was like at first to show your mess and why you felt called to create a program then that was called messy. Yeah. Yeah. Basically as much as we would love, so as much as I would have loved like my sex and my pleasure and discovering all of that and then exploring that with other people to be like easy and like just simple and like I say something and it just happens magically that's not how this process goes right like there is there is a learning curve in learning myself and then also when being with other people but I'll even just take like learning myself for me to slow down and be willing to be with my body or even slow down and ask myself, like, if I want to take myself on a date, what do I want? It requires doing things that like won't happen perfectly. It requires getting uncomfortable, which can be getting messy. So like, for example, in being my own best lover, I took myself on a date And um, I had a whole night planned where afterwards I was going to go home and be my own best sexual lover. But first I said, okay, how do I want to treat myself? 
And so it involved buying flowers for myself and booking a hotel room for myself and taking myself out to dinner and asking for everything that I wanted at dinner. And even that was just so uncomfortable. And if I was worried about doing it right, or I was worried about how others were going to see me or what they were going to think, I would have never gone. Being messy to me is like being willing to say the uncomfortable thing, being willing to do the uncomfortable thing. So in being my own, when going out on a date, it meant like being willing to sit by myself and sit with all the sensations that came up when I was being, when I was out by myself and in partnership, like with one of my lovers, when we were, you know, getting intimate, it looked like being willing to not just make sounds because I thought that that's what they wanted to hear and allow myself to make sounds when I really wanted to, because there were so many experiences I had previously with my last partner where I would hold back the noises I really wanted to make because I thought they'd sound weird or awkward or uncomfortable or like, that's not sexy. But now when I have sex, it's like, it's nothing about what the other person expects my sounds to be. And it's all about what's genuinely coming out of me. And at first that's terrifying. It's like, sounds like it's going to be ugly, stupid. What are they going to think? And just letting myself do it anyway. Which in the end is what's sexy, right? Like in the end, when you're natural, when you're wild, when you're not holding back, not people pleasing, that's what's sexy anyway. Yeah. And again, it's again about like that first time, that first time I did it, I didn't know that my partner was going to be turned on by it. I was like, he may run away and be like, you're weird, right? Being willing to let that happen for the sake of my own self-expression. And then realizing that actually he's like, wow, that's really hot. I'm like, oh, great. First time. Done. Uh-huh. It's really all about the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. I love hearing the amount of compassion and grace that is unspoken in what you're saying, which is the things take time. It's all about that first time. It's a learning curve, you know? And then I, I just also really appreciate the association you make with like discomfort and messiness because there's so much about the fear about discomfort and doing and the confidence, like so much, so many messages are around discomfort and confidence. And what you're saying is let yourself be messy because that's exactly what you're afraid of when you're doing something uncomfortable. Exactly. And, you know, I just thought of something that I really want to share around this where it's like, so messiness is basically the portal to you being your most authentic self. Like that's, that's really how I see it. And we can literally take an example of, of like physical mess, right? So if you make a smoothie, we're going to use smoothies as an example, because those are the worst things to drop. Those are the worst things to spill on the floor, right? They're so hard to clean up. And it's, it's like, if you make a smoothie and you keep it on the counter, there are two ways that you can operate. You can either walk around being really hyper aware that the smoothie is on the counter and that you don't want to spill it. So you're going to like tiptoe around and like really watch where your arm goes so that you're not going to accidentally knock it and let it spill on the floor, which is like being really hyper aware of what you're doing to prevent an outcome and not moving in a way that your body would normally move. And then there's the second option of like just going about your business, walking, 
And if your arm hits the smoothie glass and the smoothie falls on the floor, you've made a mess. You've made a mess from just walking the way you're walking. And is that something you can be okay with? Can you be like, oh, the smoothie fell on the floor. Guess I should clean it up. That's it. That's it. What what needs to be done? Exactly. Beautiful. Thank you for that example. I was thinking too, in this theme of giving yourself what you want others to give you, the opposite of that, of allowing others to give you. Mm. And I know that's been a recent portal for you. And I'd love to hear what downloads and lessons you've gotten from being in this physical impairment that you have right now and in this pain and what that opened up for you in receiving and in your relationship to your sisterhood or your family. Wow. It's been two months now, two months ago, I was in LA and I was out of nowhere starting to experience some tightness in my back. And I just thought it was like something that would go away. And 48 hours later, it grew to an intense, what felt like a muscle spasm to where I couldn't even walk. I got up and immediately was like, okay. I was like, I'm going to go to the urgent care center today to take care of my back. And as soon as I got up, I was like, wait, I need to go to the ER. And right then and there, I was trying to walk down the stairs to the garage, to my car, to get myself to the ER. And as I was walking down the stairs, I could feel that I just couldn't make it. My car was right there. What logically made sense is like push through and get yourself to the car so you can get yourself to the ER. But I could feel where it just hurt so badly. And I was, I was not really willing to push through that pain. I was like, I can't. And I said, I need help. And it came to me a lot quicker than it would have two years ago or three years ago when, you know, back when I I was like, I need to do everything myself and I need to take care of things and, you know, lived in that paradigm. So I was like, I need help. And I called up a friend who then called up another friend to come get me and take me to the ER. And just in that, it was like realizing that I got to ride in the back of the car in a little less pain than I would have been if I was driving myself and realizing that this friend really wanted, like was, was lit up by contributing to me. Like she was so happy to take me to the ER and to know that she was taking care of me. And as I was sitting in the ER, getting everything taken care of and realizing that I was about to go back to my home and be by myself, I was like, I am in so much pain. There's no way that I can take care of myself. And I knew, I knew maybe I could have, right? Like I could have gone back and been by myself and been in excruciating pain and tried to do things and continue to be in pain and then go down the hole of nobody cares about me. Nobody like waited for, I could have waited for somebody else to be like, oh, do you need help? Someone to just magically read my mind and know that I need help and then come and, and take care of me. Like I could have waited for that, right? But that I've learned by now, nobody can read your mind. Fun fact. Right, you were already really, really good at expressing desires. Like I remember you telling me you wanted me to pick you up from the airport and yeah, so you were already 
having a very open relationship to receiving. So I could feel where I was like, wow, I really want support. And I, I knew that to get support, I would have to ask for it because I have, and I, again, I have learned myself. I have learned what I need. I cannot expect anyone else to read my mind and know what I need. So I need to be direct about what I want. So right then and there, I created a, a group chat of 10 people, 10 of my friends in LA. And I texted them and I said, hey, I am in the emergency room with really bad back pain. I'm about to go home. And I'm actually not really able to move at all. I can barely even dress myself. And I really desire your support. This is what I would need help with. And it took something like it was like, it was messy, right? I'm letting them see me in this vulnerable state. I'm like, I don't want to admit to anyone that I can't put my own pants on right now. But I knew that it would, it would be a lot easier with support, that that is truly what I wanted. And so I sent the text to 10 of my friends. And here's the messy part. For an hour, nobody responded. What was going through <laughs> your mind? Oh my God, like nobody wants to help me. Nobody cares. They all think I'm making it up for some sympathy. Like I had the most outrageous thoughts go through my head. I still do. I always will. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all about not listening. Right. It's like, okay, I hear you. (laughs) Exactly. You're like, I, I recognize you thoughts. I know you're, you don't have to be real. I can just hear you. And so I, I, I breathed through it. I was like, okay, let's just, let's see what happens. Really trusting that whatever was going to happen was going to happen. And so then the text started coming in and, you know, part of this journey of of allowing myself to receive from other people is like really trusting that whatever happens in the journey and in the process is perfect, whether anyone responds or whether everyone responds, but not going, not letting myself be consumed by the thoughts of nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Um, I should just tell them they shouldn't come and forget everything. That's like, all these thoughts asking you to act on it. And you're just like meditating, like nothing to do right now. Exactly. So within a few hours, I'd gotten a lot of messages of support and a lot of people wanting to come stay with me. And so the friend that was with me in the ER brought me back to my place, stayed with me for two hours. And what ended up happening is that she left. And an hour later, I had a friend come and stay for the night. And over the course of the next two weeks, I was only alone for a total of five hours. Mm. And there was this beautiful journey and cycle of like people being really excited to contribute to me because I was letting them. And me being really excited to being contributed to because I knew that people were just choosing it of their own free will. I wasn't like, trying to sh- like guilt anyone into it. I wasn't like, oh, you don't have to take care of me. I was like, I want you to take care of me in a way that feels good to you. And then actually feeling how beautiful it felt, how nourishing it felt when they would do things for me, when I would ask for things and they would say yes. And letting myself receive all of that love. It, it's a practice. Yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable to receive <laughs> Yeah, we think every all of us think like, oh, we just want love. We just want everyone to pour love into us. 
that that shit takes something. <laughs> it's like when people are actually pouring love into you, your mind screaming, wait, I don't deserve this. Wait, no, no, no. Don't actually give it to me. <laughs> right. Your nervous system is like, um, I'm not used to this. Like, what? How can I relax here? And, you know, I'll bring this back to being your own best lover and taking care of yourself because I knew how to ask for the things that I wanted because I'd practiced that with myself because I'd already studied myself. I know what I want. I know what I need. I know what my desires are. So I get to ask for them from other people. And then they are like, oh my God, I don't have to guess what Rinsha wants. I don't have to guess if 75 is like a comfortable temperature for her. She's going to tell me that it's like 74.3 and I could just put it. And I, I like it like takes all the like mind games and like wondering and guessing out of it and just allows us to be connected. Yeah. I think a lot of people are pretending. It's like a lot of people have a fear of being controlling. So it's like, let me pretend that I don't need the temperature to be a specific number. And then, yeah, there's so much like stickiness there as opposed to just being straight with it and then open to receive a yes or no. Right. And the thing about control here is, you know, we're afraid of being controlling, but at the end of the day, what we're really doing is making a request or saying that we need something. And that's us taking care of ourselves. If we like took the other person's hand and forced them to the like thermostat and said, change this now, that's yeah. controlling, right? That, that's definitely control. But we're not forcing other people to do anything. If I told the person like, hey, can you switch the, I need the temperature at 74.3. And they're like, actually, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I get to be with that. Might not be comfortable. I may need to either be like, okay, I'm going to get up and change it myself. Am I willing to do that? Or like, can I compromise on a temperature that works for the both of us? It takes something else, right? But I, it's not controlling for us to just ask for what we want. Beautifully said. I hope everyone writes that down. <laughs> seriously something something that just popped up is is something that I really admire in you is how well you take no's mm. <laughs> gracefully you know I'm sure it's I mean it's hard no's are of course like things come up but what I see in you is that you still ask anyway and I'd love to hear what your journey with no's has been and what you can offer to people who are so afraid to ask because they're so afraid to get a no. This is going to sound really linear and like a one and done. And it's really not. But it's it's the fundamental shift that's happened inside. Which is, I now know that someone's no has nothing to do with me. Like if someone, if someone asks me if I want tea and I say no, I don't want tea. That's it. Right. When we bring it to ourselves, when we put ourselves as the one that says no, it's like, oh, of course, like I just don't want something. But these thoughts that we have that like to race and like to make everything about us make it like, oh, my God, this person said no. They don't want my tea. They don't want me. They don't like me. It's all about my they think my tea is disgusting. Like we'll come up with all these reasons. And then if that one person doesn't like your tea, no one likes your tea. Oh, yeah. Of course, the whole world doesn't want my tea ever. Nobody will ever want my tea again. Yeah. And so it was like, where, okay, this is, this is also it. It's like when I wasn't filling myself up with love and when I wasn't taking care of myself, 
I was looking externally for the validation. So then when people weren't validating me or were saying anything that felt like invalidation, it hit, it hit a part of me that just so desperately wanted to be loved because it was so, there was so much fragility there. Understandably so. But when I learned to love myself and when I've learned to take care of myself, I'm now not like pulling for other people to fill me and validate me. So when someone says no to my tea, it's not like I ask them because I want them to validate me. I, I also ask from a different place now. It's like I ask people if they want tea because I love them and I want to know if they want to have tea. Not because I'm like, oh, I hope they like my tea so that I know they like me. Because I got that. I, I like me. And it sounds so like, oh, it sounds so simple or, oh, it sounds like all you got to do is like yourself. It's a journey. It's definitely a journey. We all know that. If you're listening to this, I know you know that it's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> And if you don't, girl, be hot. Like, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, yes. you wouldn't expect yourself to speak French in a day. Mm-hmm. And self love is definitely a language. Definitely. I want to hear what are your favorite affirmations for yourself? Like, what's Rincha telling herself whenever she's down to really feel like she's the badass that she is? I am whole, perfect, incomplete just the way I am. I am pure magic. If nothing ever changed about me, I would be perfect. I am constantly growing and evolving. I am messy. I am beautiful. I am sexy. I am worthy. Thank you for that. Thank you for asking. I want to cut that out and make it into a bonus Rincha's morning affirmation recording. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, every single word really resonated with me. Mm. Really important. I, it's something that like the first thing that I do in the morning when I wake up is say affirmations about myself. What's, what's your favorite one that you say to yourself? For me, I'm beautiful really hits me. Because my, my insecurities, most of them were about my, my appearance and like physically needing to look like what I thought I needed to look like. So it, it speaks to that, in, like to that teenager who was very insecure. Just, I'm beautiful exactly the way that I am. Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> so we're wrapping up. And I'd love to hear what you have coming and what you're offering to the world. To anyone who has the pleasure of working with you and hearing your wisdom. Uh, so much is coming. A lot of which I don't know yet. <laughs> Naturally so. It was yeah. so un- it misaligned. Yeah. If you did know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, one thing that I will share, because this will be public by the time you put this out, is it's actually so perfect that you just said, I am beautiful, is the um, affirmation that really resonates with you right now. Because I, of course, you know, this, this growth journey is, is a forever, forever thing. And we're always, you know, finding the deeper layer. 
And so for me, one of the deepest, deepest wounds that's now become the deepest love that I've really discovered is in loving myself even at my size as a big girl. I am a big girl and I could not own that even a few months ago. That Those words had so much charge for me. And I always had it in the back of my mind that I just needed to be a little skinnier and then I would be happier, right? Because I knew I was happy, but it's like, I need to, if I'm a little skinnier, then I could be happier. And I finally like really given that up, give it up every day, but I've given, I've, I've committed to giving it up. Exactly. Yeah. And loving myself exactly where I'm at with these beautiful ass curves of mine. And so I'm finding, I have a desire to support big girls in fully loving themselves. And so I have a Facebook group I've created that's completely free and open to anyone that identifies as a big girl to have a space to be loved, to be seen, to be supported, to be poured into by me and fellow big girls. And so that Facebook group is called Live Big. Big girls, big energy, big love. Fucking love that. Oh, it is so good. I've been seeing what you've been posting about it and, and I'm so excited. Hmm. And, it, and it just like really goes, it's just so aligned with everything we talked about today of loving yourself because I know that when it comes to size, the message is always like, don't worry, there's going to be someone out there that is into a bigger girl or likes, you know, matter your size. And it's like, what about you liking yourself, no matter your size? Yes, exactly. Exactly. One million percent. So that is, that is a focus of mine right now. And I love, I just love one-on-one coaching with anyone that's looking for support in fulfilling that wild dream. That's just a whisper inside of you. That may just be a whisper inside of you right now, or it may be screaming in your ear. You know, it, it has so many forms, but, you know, anyone that's just really has a dream and wants to have it and just maybe wants some support in having it. Beautiful. Yeah, I'll add that Rinsha is skilled at leading people through a feminine journey, like through connecting to their emotions and their mess and their flow and their living by desires. So I know a lot of you out there are feeling just that disconnection from the feminine and desire that feminine healing and Rinsha is a really great Sherpa for that. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Love you. Can we just love you? This is such a pleasure. Hey you, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Commitment Phobe. If you like what you heard, make sure to share with your friends, your lovers, your ex-lovers, anyone that you think could benefit from having a conversation like this one. And it would be super helpful if you subscribed and left a five-star rating on iTunes to make sure that this podcast gets spread around to as many listeners as possible and we can start changing the conversation that we have around intimacy and relationships. If you want to find out more information about what I do as a women's coach and some of my other projects that I'm working on, you can find my information in the bio of this episode, or you can reach out to me directly on Instagram and shoot me any questions that you have. See you next time.